Hello, everyone, and welcome back to your favorite St. Louis sports podcast, The Lunatics. I'm your host, Tyler Edwards. The rude person interrupting my intro with his opening of a beer is my co-host, John. Uh, John, how are you doing this evening? And to start things off, what are you drinking since you're opening it loudly in front of us? Okay, first off, I have opened a beer in the middle of your intro, like every single episode since November. And I don't think you started complaining about it until Kaler was on board to talk about Birmingham. Before I actually that, don't, I don't know think... when it was. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know that I honestly heard it before. I think you're just opening it closer to your mic, mic now. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> so it's just more obvious. Well, and it could be like the glass, you know, like the, the glass breaking, right? The first time mm-hmm. you notice like an annoying habit of someone's, it's like you notice it every single time after that. Oh, God, yeah. It 100% could be that. Uh, as far as what I'm drinking, it is a sad night for me, but it might end up a good night if we talk long enough because this one tends to hit me hard. It is my very last <clears throat> train of four deep sleep brewing stout, imperial stout, um, 8.1% alcohol per volume. And I just, you know, ran nonstop for 40 minutes and sweated out everything. So we're going to see Sounds how like well this is. Sounds like you guys could have used a sub tonight. It, we actually, I convinced, uh, th- there's a girl that I know you would recognize from playing against her, but I convinced this girl to, to play with us um, tonight. So that way we at least had six people in the field. Um, and I thought I was fit. And then I, this girl played the game ahead of us, played nonstop our entire game, and then went straight into playing the game after us for her other team. And I no longer feel like I'm a fit person. Um, so, anyway, yeah. my life's going great. How are you? Well, I'm in a I'm in, I'm in a good place. Uh, got home. What are you uh, drinking? Played with the kids and uh, didn't go play soccer tonight because I was working on NBA homework. So um, <clears throat> this evening, uh, I'm also going the stout route uh, is what I'm going to call it. Ooh, I like that. That could yeah. be like our catch line: the stout route. But uh, yes. I have the uh, Mexican chocolate stout uh, from Schlafly, which I am enjoying thoroughly over here. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a solid beer. And as you can tell in the glass, it's, it's nice and dark, just how I like it. <laughs> There's a lot I could, I could say with that, but I'm just going to... What did you say? What was that? I didn't say anything. Huh? I just what? said I'm not going to say anything <laughs> about that. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, where's my sticky note at? So, you know, talking about St. Louis sports, um, you know, it probably also didn't help. I don't know how much sleep you got last night, but I got home. and was still a little amped, uh, after St. Louis city game did not sleep well. Uh, shout out to city winning. Uh, but we'll have another episode to go more in depth into that, uh, focus more on city, but we just did a whole season preview. So we want to talk more about the blues and Cardinals. Uh, and the first thing, uh, that I have on our outline to talk about, cause we have those sometimes, is we do this is this is a short (laughs) tyler outline tonight i want i want the world to know this one is all tyler so i'm just along for the ride and we're gonna see where it takes us you know he's my designated uh, driver tonight when when tyler takes you on a trip you never know when you're gonna end up it's kind of like you know i've this old saying on uh ketamine right down the k-hole you go where you land nobody knows (laughs) <laughs> fucking ketamine hey and you know what though uh where'd my can go you know the brewery is called deep sleep brewing 
So, and they're local. Yeah. Washington, Missouri. Gonna have to go find more. It's probably, all my beers are local. They probably, they're probably all their alcohol percentages are like 8 to 15%. Yeah, That's why it's be. deep sleep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they have to, I mean, they obviously have someone associated with the medical field to come up with such a, a deep name uh, as Train of Four. Like, oh, yeah. I was, yeah. I was mad impressed. That was an impulse buy. Anyway, blues. Blues. Um, we'll start off with the uh, lighter topic. Uh, well, lighter for you, less light for me. Um, since the All-Star break, as we all know, we looked like we were getting hot leading into the All-Star break. Then we lost that last game to Columbus right before the All-Star break, which is a letdown. Ended that win streak and all of the good feels and kind of left a sour taste in our mouths. Came back, uh, won two out of three on the road trip, and then have got, have lost the last two at home uh, to Nashville and Toronto. So two and three since the break. Sit, sitting at 60 points, we are tied with the Predators, uh, With still do have a game in hand on them um, at 60 points for that second wild card spot. Sad news for me right now, we are on an 80, was it, I said 89 and a half? Point 89. pace that I sent you is what you sent me. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, okay, that's 89.4545, whatever, right. and, and I rounded right. up. So yeah, rounding. For yeah, math nerds. You know. Fucking nerds are ruining sports everywhere. Give me all the digits. Hey, Tyler, how many of those were significant digits? Uh, which well, it depends because I really none of them. But you know, you didn't need them. But it, it's another thing. We're not going to get into sick figs. <laughs> We're not, we're not getting we're going to get into deep math here. We're a sports pod, not a math pod. Um, okay, so 60 points, 55 games, 89 and a half for the pace. That would put them three points below below the cutoff for our over-under, which means I've got beer in my future. May have made another bet today, which we will maybe, if it's real, be posting about soon um, with our good friend talk- Jacob. If it's you're talking about the one where no matter who wins, I lose. Uh, that's not yes. happening. That is one hundred percent what's happening. No. Um, so, but we'll we'll get we'll get some more in that little teaser. How much discretionary and... income to buy everyone else beer do you think I have? You're rich. <laughs> Look at all the alcohol behind you. Just start buying beer instead of whiskey. You cover it. You know, last week you were like, "Oh yeah, look here I am, Mr. Fancy Pants, drinking my Blantons." Buy beer instead of Blanton's. There's not a bottle of Blanton's behind me. I haven't had a bottle of Blanton's in two years. What did you have? You had something. Doesn't matter. Either way, I win. I mean, you can lose. see all of my bottles behind me. There's yeah, but it's blurry not... because Riverside is, you know, I mean, doing like, its, it's thing. I can't see what's all there. I'll have to watch it later, and then I have to listen to the sound of my own voice. Not a fan of that. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, just kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, and if you're um, listening speak- to this right now, power to you because, like, why? You know what? We are Nobody on knows. an absolute tear. You know, the thing is, as Kaler so glad, kindly put it, if you're still listening to our podcast at this point, it means you like it, you sickos. You sickos. <laughs> I love um, that guy. We need. To, I'm just ready for another episode with Kaler. Um, <clears throat> more importantly, uh, so lose. Getting back into the blues, so we are tied for, with the Predators right now, which is actually disappointing to me. So going into the game of the, over the weekend against the Predators, we were up, we had a four-point lead on them with a game in hand and a chance to 
really put them in a hole, right? Mm-hmm. Four point yeah. swing on that game, and we did not do any of what we're looking for, right? Um, we came out, we played flat. We looked okay for the first period. I say okay loosely. I mean, like it wasn't terrible, but we let that game get away from us. Um, and, you know, now we're sitting here tied with them for that last wild card spot. Um, you know, if you win that game, all of a sudden you're talking about, okay, are we going to be buyers at the deadline? Things like that. It changes the outlook of the team with that six point cushion. Again, now we're tied. What, what do we do? And, you know, it's hard to, hard to watch, hard to see, um, difficult to kind of, you know, swallow at times, right? When you, every time we, every time we think this blues team is starting to turn the corner, it comes back and are we seeing the same blues that we saw from early in the season, right? Are we still, at what point do we see some of the, the blues get more consistent, right? Consistent effort. And, and, you know, and that's, that's the part that gets me, you know, I know you haven't seen a lot of games, but. Well, no, but here's the thing, right? The blues, just are who the blues are so this like inconsistent effort that we're seeing the these inconsistent results i think that's just who they are i think they're an up and down team i think that they have you know every team's gonna have good days and bad days but the thing that separates the good teams from like the rest of the world in any sport is that on a good team's bad day they still find a way to pull out a w right and and the blues do not have that ability in the current iteration and that's fine right this is a team that could could get the last spot in the playoffs but they're not a good team i like the fact that they're in a playoff spot i think says more about the rest of the conference than it does about the blues i think it says more about our goalies than anything yeah yeah okay our goalies have stolen a lot of games for us this year um and you know, because of that, if you get into the playoffs, you're not somebody the other teams want to play because a goalie can steal a series. Yeah. Right. The Blues can have a few off games. And if Benner's hot, he'll take he'll win. The, he'll take the series. And, and that's yeah. not so, so that's not a team you want to play in the playoffs. Um, not because because they are consistent. Right. Because if you get the right. fire in all cylinders blues for a game or two and then Benner steals a game or two. Now you're, you've lost the series and you're sent home packing when realistically you were the better, more consistent team all season. Um, right. Well, in playoffs, it, in playoffs. all the sports, playoffs, it's always about who gets hot at the end of the year, right? It, you see it year in, year out for every team. Whichever team figures it out in the last two weeks of the season and goes on that just crazy streak, they tend to ride that, that through, you know? Whereas most of the time... Any teams that are, you know, limping into the playoffs, you know, or if they clinch way too early and have nothing to play for, those teams tend to do bad because they, you know, it's really hard to turn it back on, right? So good example uh, of that, right? If you follow MLS last year, Sporting Kansas came in red hot, took it to took it to St. Louis City in the first round as the, the lower seed. Um, but then we had the big international break and they couldn't yeah. turn it back on. Yeah. Well, and we've seen it also with the Cardinals for several times, not, not maybe the last year they were, were in the playoffs, but you know, several times since that last world series run, we were a good team and we locked it down early and the last week or so we didn't really have a whole lot to do, you know? And, and at that point, 
it's just like how do you keep that edge now good news look, for the look at the last two world series teams that the cardinals yeah. won with yeah. um they were the worst record in the playoffs in the national league both times yeah yeah so even though they won the division in 06 they right. wouldn't they were actually worse record than the wild card team right right and that that is um how do you say kind of a trend of the last 20 years of the St. Louis Cardinals. And and you and I have complained about that a lot. I know we're, we're going to talk about Cardinals spring training in a bit, but, you know, and I think it's kind of the same thing with the Blues this year. You know, everyone can see the weaknesses in both of these teams, and yet they don't really make the moves that they need to to improve the areas that they're weak. And it's not the team's fault that the team is not that great. It's the GM's fault for both teams that are that they're not going out to try to make the changes that they need to make. And that could be ownership, right? There could be financial limitations on what they're able and willing to spend. And even though we know that we're not like the biggest spenders, like for the Cardinals, um, you know, Mo only can can only spend whatever Dewitt says like he can spend, right? He may be yeah. right at the top of whatever that is, and we don't know. We have no idea what that is and and army's dealing with salary cap right 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 and and you know if you miss on some big contracts and i know we've we've talked a lot about you know kairu's contract in particular that's a lot of cap space right there it's hard when you get things wrong um and and you know you see it in mls too we haven't had this issue yet because i think our management there is a little bit more strict with managing the cap and making good choices and of course being such a global game, the talent pool is massive to pull from. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you see some of the other teams, they they make a couple of bad signings, and because of the cap hit, it just screws you. Um, and that's part of why I, I find salary caps to be a more interesting way to manage um, leagues than the non-cap leagues or even soft caps. Um all that to say, like, yes, this team, if this team gets really hot the last month of the season, they could go on a tear. But they're going to be the lowest seed in the playoffs, which means they're going to have a hard road to do anything. I agree. I, again, I still think I think it's at this point successful season for them where they're sitting uh, is going to be <laughs> making the playoffs. And again, I, th- yeah. I think they have the potential to steal a series, but they're not going to win the yeah. cup. Um, so let me let me ask you this. I know we have the outline and we've gone off of it, but the way you just said that. So would you consider making the playoffs and crashing out first round a successful season for the Blues? Because I would. I did not have mm-hmm. this as a playoff team, right? So I, that, I, I would consider. I told it you at the beginning of the year, uh, a good season I felt like would be ninety three points and competing for one of the last playoff spots, competing right. for the playoffs through the end of the season. Right. <clears throat> I mean, I, th- I thought they'd be be close, but I was I kind of thought that they'd be a, a ninety point an eighty seven to ninety point team, which is what they're on track for. Um, so I feel really smart about that so far. But but that they'd be just below the playoff line, um, and that could still happen, right? That's not they don't have a huge margin of error. They it's not comfortable for them. But um, I kind of thought that those wild card spots would have a few more points than they do. I still but, think they might because I think, and, and that's just it, right? We we're coming, we're fifty five games in, um, two thirds of the season, roughly fifty six games, right? For um, the predators, some have teams, 56. but yeah, yeah, for some teams, but 
for us, right? We've got 27 games to figure it out. Um, I mean, we are almost exactly two thirds of the season when you said two thirds, I mean, right on. Yeah. Right Um, on. Yeah. And we've got March 8th, that Friday is the trade deadline. So we've got, you know, two and a half weeks to the trade deadline. So you start wondering what, you know, what are we going to do? What is that going to look like? And, And I'm curious to see what that looks like. I think, so I watched the Toronto game Monday. Um, and while watching the game, you know, there was times we looked like a really good team for little stretches, but I swear to God, the inability for our team to get aggressive on the forecheck, um, it is maddening. Uh, we're dumping pucks in and we have like our forwards. We only have a couple of forwards who are willing to really get physical. And it's like our fourth line guys, right? The guys right. you expect to be physical, but like right. our first, our f- first two lines were, were, I mean, absolutely invisible on the forecheck. Um, and if you're not getting out in the, if you're dumping pucks into the offensive zone, it doesn't matter unless you're on the forecheck. I will say, right. <clears throat> um, power play wise and things like our power play looked good and it's, and it has looked good since things have changed over. The other thing I want to, I keep seeing is just, it's, it looks like sloppy, careless maneuvers. Um, I watched three different times where a pass camp comes to Cairo and he, and, and this was in a span of like five minutes of game time. There are three different passes come to Cairo and it either hits his, hits his stick and he just lazily like bumps it and then just kind of gives it away and they go on a fast break. Um, or he gets it, starts to make a move, loses the puck because he's just lazily doing whatever. And then the the third one was he gets the puck, turns around and literally passed it right to the Maple Leafs player. And I'm like, and he's just not, he's just literally looked like he's just not even in it. I get it. Well, and, 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 <clears throat> well okay. I mean, here's the thing about Kairu and, and, you know, we hmm. talk a lot like these are professional athletes. And normally when you hear the phrase, this is a professional athlete, your thought is, okay, this person is like in peak physical shape. That's the first thing I think of when someone says they are a professional athlete, right? But the mm-hmm. other part of that is the is the fact that you have to approach your job like a professional. Um, and so, um, like for Kairou, like I get it. He's taken a lot of flack this season. I get it. The whole thing with Baruby leaving, like especially, you know, took him some stuff, but like, if you want your next team to want you, if you like aren't happy playing here, and, uh, which I, I totally get for him if, if that's how he feels, um, like you have to be showing something. And, and I don't think he's really been showing nearly what what he should um, or what he could and what we what we need from him. You know, we just spent this whole long talk about the importance of cap space, specifically with regards to him. He's to just because by the nature of his cap hit, he is a critical, important piece for this team. Um, and if he's not, you know, bought in, like, like we need to move him on. And, and we may not be able to move him on because he is not interested in playing right now, really, it seems like. Yeah, it's been, I, I know I've talked a lot on this early in the season about his lack of a two-way game. But he doesn't even seem at times right now to care on offense. And if your game is predicated on 
literally it offensive production and you just look like you don't care um i mean th- then you have no value right and, and that's the problem is you know i would love to move on from him but what do you do how do you move on right um right you know and because the cap right we gave him he's getting eight mil a year he's not going anywhere because we can't do anything with him and nobody else wants him um and i think that's what's frustrating to me is is when you see stuff like that it makes you wonder like okay well then then what what is this team's true ceiling right and how are you going to look at it and that's kind of what you know um i i asking and i mistyped this in the outline so bear with me but like what does this mean headed into the trade deadline right if that if that's the effort you're seeing from your star players and you're still just moving around do and you keep talking about retooling does this become do you start looking to sell or do you want to stand pat and and some of the things that there's a lot of pieces to consider when looking at that um but what does that look like? So here's my view. This has always been my view. If you are in position to be fighting for a playoff spot or a, a divi- you know a division or a conference championship or you know whatever the league does, you should be buying at the deadline. However, or at least not selling, you should not be selling at the deadline if you have a chance to the postseason because the only thing that really matters about the postseason is getting into it, right? You've got to get into it to have a chance. Now, if you get you know a phenomenal deal, that's sure, maybe, but there's no guarantee that the next two, you know, one, two, three years are going to pan out, right? Guys get hurt. Guys decide that, you know, Hockey is kind of a physical sport, and I kind of am tired of hurting all the damn time, right? Like, and, and maybe they retire, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, if you're in position, like, you should always be be buying now. The other thing, though, is the person who who I at least have heard to be the most likely piece to sell at the deadline. Uh, would be Bushnevich, who I'm not. I'm not a fan of losing Bushy. Um, I think he's you know he's been one of the top performers for the team this year. I, he he gets you know a lot of minutes. Like he's he's really been a strong, consistent performer. You know he's got hell. He's got 43 points this year. Kairou has 43 points, right? Like like and and they're tied for second on the team. But but still, like no, I I think we should keep them. Um, in terms of the Blues being buyers, though, like everyone knows they're not a good team. If they were to suddenly be like, I want to be a buyer, like teams would, would just fleece them and we would get probably not a lot back because we don't have a lot of good leverage um, to make good good trades. Um, then again, it is the NHL. So my previous point about how like the playoffs are not guaranteed, like they let like a ridiculous amount of teams into the playoffs. Um I mean, so, so does everybody now. Tell well, me a league true, that but they all copy. They all copied the NBA and the NHL for this. Um, and I, I really don't – I'm really torn on it. So right? the NHL, NHL, you get 16 teams in, and is there 32? I think there's 32 now with Kraken. There's joining. 32 now. Yeah, the Kraken so were the 32nd the team. This actually came up on an earlier pod, that 32 um, teams now. But – and I think that's fine. I think half the league 
is fine. Um, there's actually so with MLS's expansion last year and MLB's expansion, <laughs> I've I have read a lot about like what's the average number of playoff teams. And I believe the NBA leads with like two thirds of the teams, roughly 62% of the teams roughly make the playoffs, I think. Um, And most of the teams are between 50 and 62. Um, Baseball before this was at like 46 because baseball has historically been a very few teams make the playoffs structure. I got to admit though, like, like I get what people say, like that the playoffs are more interesting. So you want to have more, like games in it and you want more teams in it so that more people are looking into it. And maybe I've been spoiled because I've been a fan of teams that are consistently in the playoffs, right? Like, but I'm like, ah, oh, no, that's bullshit. Be better. <laughs> I don't know. Like the regular yeah. season matters to me. Like I want to watch sports. I, I get what you're saying. I, again, it's a, at the end of the day, these leagues exist to make money. And so, by the the playoffs mean more money, so more teams to playoff means more money, um, and so that's exactly why it is what it is. So I mean, you're not going to get rid of that, uh, but with that, right? I don't expect the Blues to be buyers. If they're buyers at all, I could see them potentially just a kind of a, a filler piece, right? Just a depth piece. Yeah. If they're not having to sit spend much, I know you're like, oh, they don't really have much leverage. I mean. We have some really solid prospects right now. No, Flip no side of that's that, what I mean. I don't, we don't, I don't, we don't want have negotiation them, leverage, right? That's what I mean. But, but like, I don't want to see them give up those prospects, right? right? Exactly. Right. And we, we wouldn't be able to get good returns without giving up good prospects who we want yeah, to and keep. When you're, when you're in a retool or rebuild, however you want to phrase it, again, right. that's key. Um, Bucci, we, the, his name keeps coming up in, in trade rumors and things. I don't think he's going to get traded. I know why he's going, why he's looking at that. Same reasons you said he's, and he is easily uh, what our best, our all around uh, offensive player. He's been a little uh, inconsistent as late as far as getting some points on the board. But I mean, you're talking about a guy who can play the penalty kill, can play the power play. He plays top three minutes uh, and, and plays them well. Um, you know, yeah, he's, he's going to be a guy that, will always be attractive and because we are borderline it's it's going to be teams are going to call and ask and again if we get some ridiculous offer i think i do think he could go if army gets you know one of I those mean, like yeah. impossible turn down types offers but <clears throat> i just don't see it happening he does still have he has one year left on his contract um so he's 28 now he'll play next season at 29 and he's signing his next contract going into his age 30 season. Um, and with his production, you're likely looking at a seven to $8 million a year yeah. player. Hell, Kevin Hayes makes seven and a half million dollars a year. Yeah. We, we only pay half. That. We only pay half of that salary. So like that's okay. It makes it much more pal- right. palpable. Right. Right. So like, palatable, but, still. but like, you know, but it, it's, and again, Kevin Hayes is as of late has really played really well. Hell, the game on on against the the uh, Toronto on Monday, mm-hmm. I mean, he looked like one of the better players on the ice for most of the game. So, like Kevin Hayes has come on as late, and he does know how to play and he knows how to win. Um, and I think he on his current line playing with some different guys and being able to kind of stabilize <laughs> some 
being the stabilizing force for those guys is, isn't a good spot. Right. But he's not a top six player, but he was getting paid like one because of what he did on the teams he was on with the players he was surrounded by. Right. Um, the other thing, too, though, about, about Bushi, and, and this is the thing where we have to decide, are we in a rebuild or a retool, right? If we're in a retool, I think you, like, without the playoffs, right, you would want to keep him. If you are in a rebuild, clearly he's one of our most saleable assets and he will soon have zero value when he hits free agency. I think the blues ownership group looks at what happened in 06, 07, 08 and knows that this team cannot afford to do that again. And the fan, they can't do that again with the fan base. Yeah. So it will be more of a retool than a rebuild because they know they can't afford to go through a full scale rebuild again. Right. One of the things I need to look into and I just don't know, I guess, where to look. I mean, Google will probably, I'll find it as soon as I type it in. Yeah, the interwebs but, you know, is a good place to the start. The interwebs. The interwebs. You can find anything out, out there. Um, <laughs> but, like, for baseball, <clears throat> there, you know, there's so many prospect lists for MLB. And they almost always have a, like, projected date, right, of when um, – like a prospect will make it. And I need to look into for myself and for my own knowledge, like how far away are these guys from making it to the NHL? That's one of the things that I, I think is critical for the context of, of where the blues are and where we're headed. Because like our, our prospects are really good, but how many of them are, are likely to be contributors next year or within the next two years? I think we see two, maybe three in the next year, year and a half. Uh, if you didn't catch in the news, so uh, Justin Falk was placed on long-term injured reserve, uh, and right. we've pulled called up Zach Bolduc, which is one of those young guys we keep talking about. That's true. That's true. Um, I forgot this all year about that. in the AHL. Uh, he has played um, <clears throat> in 48 games, uh, has 23 points, eight goals, 15 assists. Um, has not, not just quote unquote torn it up. Um, Because, I mean, like, you look at, like, where he was at previously. I mean, and again, different, completely different levels. Right now he's playing against grown men now (laughs) in the AHL and was not so much before. But, um, I mean, his previous seasons, he's, you know, anywhere from point and a half or more for the last couple seasons um, prior to that on his stat line. So, I mean, like, he's a guy who can play. He's got good stuff. I'm excited to see what he does. But because of that move to long-term injured reserve, I think it's interesting to see him called up um, because we are still competing for the playoffs, right? You would expect, um, I would have expected potentially somebody who maybe had more more professional time, right, to kind of help fill in and stabilize. But I also think it's a great opportunity to see what we have and see how where Bulldog's at. Um, he could make a big change and he could make a big, big impact and could easily earn that spot. I think we see Snuggerud um, before the end of next season for sure. I know a lot of people think he's get, we're going to see him this year. I just, and you know, Cardinals and baseball fans will love this, but the clock's going to be ticking, right? Once you once you call right. them up, the clock's ticking, and you've got to figure it out. I could see Snug, I could see them not calling up Snuggerud this year, um, but you know that's still to be determined. The other thing with the Falk on long term injuries, or if I say other thing, other things. Uh, Marco Scandella on one of our defensemen has been a vi- also very rumored person to be traded big talk um and was somebody that i honestly thought 
if we were going to like sell anybody might be somebody we'd sell because a contender would be looking for a good defenseman like Scandella. I don't see us trading him now because of Falk being on long-term injured reserve, right? We don't have the defenseman depth to stay competitive at the level we're at if we trade him. Uh, so I think that likely takes him off the table. I don't know what you think there um, on mean, how that would impact it. I mean, okay, so defenseman is one of the areas that this team is weakest. In fact, it is the area that this team is weakest. Um, so on the one hand, I can see that. Um, how old is Scandella? Do you know? No, I don't know off the top of my head. He's I'm, not I'm clicking. old. I'm, He's I'm not young it. either. Honestly, our he defenseman is... looked pretty, pretty solid. No, the other day. he's it looked solid he's, as of recent. He's older than us. Mm. So, so I mean, he is on at the backstage of his career. I mean, if there's a team that that wants him, and we can get a couple of good young prospects, especially if they are young defenseman prospects, that like I'm okay with with that. He is one of the things that's kind of interesting about Scandella. So he's actually one of like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He's one of seven guys out of 27 that like qualify for the skating stats. Uh, He's one of seven guys with a positive plus minus on the team. And by the way, there are seven guys with a positive plus minus. This team has a negative goal differential, negative 10 goal differential. Again, I'm going to reiterate this. This is not a good team. Now, they are pulling out some close games, okay? But the games they lose, they are getting just just obliterated, right? Now, in a playoff series, win four close games, get blown out in two or three games, I'll take four close wins for $500, Alec. That's yeah, okay. No, I, I get that. Um, I, I think it's... <clears throat> I think it's more telling when you watch the team play, right? Like, cause I don't feel yeah. like the def- you're saying defenseman is our weakest area and I'm watching these games and I don't feel like it is. Do you feel, I feel like, like it's our, I feel like our, the defense that our forward groups are, are, you know, that, that are, are, you know, for example, you know, you've got your, your center and your two wingers, the defense, those guys are playing is God awful. Well, okay. But I do don't you feel mean, like our like defense on one individual line, terrible. or do you mean first line, the fourth line? Because I first think we are f- first line to fourth line has not looked terrible. I mean, Colton Pareko has been easily Colton one of the Pareko's best defensemen in the league. Stunned. Nick Letty Great has been season. phenomenal Great since season the first of the of year. Tori Krug has looked like a new man um, and has been uh, playing out of his mind as a whole. Now, again, the the plus minus may not support it, but you also have to think about. The plus minus also is reflective of who's gar- playing defense with him. It's not just your defense, your your blue line right, there. Right. So who so who, who is Krug being paired up with then? Right. God damn it! And I knew you were going to ask that. Um, <laughs> I'm very good at asking questions, especially ones that I don't know the answer to because I haven't been able to to watch a lot of games lately. <laughs> um, so the thing the thing about Krug is okay. First off, he has 29 points. Which is awesome, awesome. I mean, five of the, five of those came in one game. That doesn't matter. You're getting like he still has 29 points. Like that's that's like I think, forward level I think production. Been, so it had been Justin Falk. So that's why I was like, hold on, you're gonna give me a minute. Um, they've been pairing up a lot with Kessel 
um, recently. And, and Kessel's played really well. Um, and then I've seen a lot of, of you know, Scandella, Tyler Tucker, uh, Perunovic is also on IR still. Um, sure, sure. But, but I mean, if you have four solid defensemen, which we do, at least as of late, but they haven't been the problem. And Kevin Falk is a absolute monster when he's on and playing well. Um, so, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to take in there. So, um, but watching the games, like I said, the defensemen have looked pretty decent as a whole, right? They've not looked terrible, but the defense that at times our forwards are playing has looked terrible to me. And, and it leaves our defensemen out to dry and puts them. It's hard to play defense when you're constantly when your on forwards a, are not when participating it's, when two it's, ways. Yeah. When it's three or two on your defensemen or four or two on your defensemen. Right. Yeah. It's going to look really shitty on you, but right. Um, you know, like I said, Colton Pareko has been, has taken his game to another level finally this year, the level that we've been waiting for the last couple of years. Sure. And so I think that's important to, to consider. God, he's a big guy. The I always forget thing, how big he is. <laughs> the other thing with Falk going on long-term injured reserve is Falk was actually seen skating this week, uh, yesterday or today, with the team. So which tells me he's getting closer to being at least able to return potentially. But if you put somebody on long-term injured reserve, you actually recoup some money towards the cap. So oh, does that mean that. that they are going to looking to maybe add a depth piece. Again, I'm not saying that they're going to go out and trade for a top of the line type person, but a depth piece is a reasonable ask. And are they going to potentially trade for a depth piece? Are they going to look to add a, a you know second, third, second or third line defenseman, you know, to kind of replace Scandella? That's more of a prospect um, that hasn't fully developed. Maybe Scandella, um, but is, they is not a prospect. I said to replace Scandella, but you have to replace his spot on the ice, though, John. Oh, I don't care. Well, that no, not I'm not prospect. disputing that. But you, but you just said <laughs> no, to said, replace Scandella, a prospect who has not developed. He's literally the oldest guy on the team. No, no. I said, do you look to get a depth piece or a prospect that's not fully developed to replace Scandella if you trade him? Sure. Okay. Fair. <laughs> fair. I don't think that's how it actually came out of your mouth. I didn't, fin- I didn't a say fair, to, a, if we trade him, but I said to right. replace him. It, like Because I said, if we move on from Scandella, do we look right. to add a depth piece like that? Or yeah. do we, you know, maybe a guy that's looking for change of, scene, change of scenery candidate maybe. to potentially well, come in. And, and but are you, there... by putting long somebody on long-term injured reserve, you, it does well, give you potentially a little more cap space. And this is a thing that, that we should maybe look into is are there any teams that are clear sellers that have you know defensemen that that might be interested or or even better forwards that that are true two-way players right like i mean i know okay so so we're recording this on wednesday 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 night Mm -hmm. you and i were both at the mls game last night or not really mls concacaf champions cup game the city game last night and there was a like a solid like three minutes where our best striker Joao Klaus was playing left back, mm-hmm. right? Like, and and I do think I have a lot of thoughts on that situation. But like like that's what we're talking about is like being you know defending from the front, getting back, you know, helping disrupt. Um, 
like so that way you don't get those overmatches, the the number mismatches that that happen a lot in hockey if you get a quick break. Like like that happens all the time to us because our forwards aren't getting back. Um, and if that's a scheme thing, like like where we expect them to be on their own, first off, that would be really dumb. But you know, it it's not a scheme thing. It, it it's the lack of effort from our right, forwards. But it's at not times, just Kairou, right? right? Right. It's, it's I, not I said just forwards. Kyrie. I, I mean, right. Kyra is the easy person to point a finger at, right? Because we pay him as much as we do. You expect him to show up and play every day, um, but it's not. You're right. It's not just Kyra. It's the lazy passes. It's the, it's the blatant takeaways. It's the not getting on the forward check so the other team comes flying right back at you while your forwards are skating into the zone. It's right. all of those things. Um, again, I. I don't know what it means. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. And again, I think we'll have a clearer picture by next week. Um, so I'm intrigued to, you know, kind of see where we're at in the standings next week and, and what that means. <clears throat> um, I do have one more thing that I didn't put on the outline because it's a question I want to ask you. Uh, there is a one. There is a former Blues player uh, oh, who just scored, their 300, just scored their 300 just scored their 300 goal. Bullshit. And okay. is a about to ha- play in their thousandth, one thousandth, play their one thousandth game. I can never h- hate saying one thousandth game, but it's about to have a thousand games played in the NHL. Do you know who the player is? Pat Maroon. Damn, no idea. What, he was a blue for a long stretch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No idea. TJ Oshie just scored his goal number 300 mm. for his career. Uh, is sitting 300 at 300 goals. Really? He's coming. Wow. He's getting close to 700 points. That makes um, sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, like I said, uh, has played, he's in 995 games played. That's wild. Like, like so I remember just when exciting. he was just I, like a kid, you know what I mean? Like, which I mean, like we, we are roughly of an age with TJ Oshie, but like, in my mind, like, and he's not the only athlete that's like this for me. Um, like, um, who is it? Oh my god, I can see his face right now. What? Who do you play for? Uh, baseball, Houston. Um, little Jose Altuve. Hmm. Um, Jose Altuve, in my mind, is like twenty five. He's uh, not. Yeah, no. Altuve no. to me is old. Right. <laughs> right. And and he is for a, a professional <laughs> athlete. But in my mind, Jose Altuve is, is 25 years old. He broke into that major league. He had a long mind. He broke into the majors yeah. at, at like yeah. 25. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, and the crazy thing is like when he broke in, they were like writing articles like Houston 2017 World Series champs? Question mark? You know? predicting things i um, think that was a sports illustrated cover page doesn't matter it's fine yeah speaking of sports illustrated they closed up shop but um <clears throat> supposedly but no, just exciting posts on their social media so i don't know they they cut ties with so they they had let somebody else essentially keep producing sports illustrated under their name um but our took uh, essentially that... cut that contract and yeah. so the future of them is essentially not is bleak to say the least bleak um so tj oshi though uh 
favorite memory of TJ Oshie, and probably a lot of people have this, was in the Olympics against Russia yeah, in the shootout. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God, that absolutely. was gold. And not only in the shootout, but his post-game press conference that day where he was like, I'm not a real hero. The military is the real hero. Like, I was like, man, you like, tell me, you your, get- t- tell me he's an American man is what he is. He w- He was like, he was bleeding red, white, and blue that day. Yeah. Well, and it's not just that, but it's it it's like the sports are really serious and it's it's like it's this guy's career and like there's huge stakes, but at the end of the day, it's a fucking game, right? Like enjoy it and just like to have like to be grounded in, in realism like that. That was something that I've always appreciated from from Oshi. Uh I do miss that whole group of guys though. From I think that then. was, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, I, you know, you know, Chris Stewart and, um, you know, Bacchus, Oshi. Um, it was really nice to have David Perron back for the cup run, right? You know, and to have him as a part of that because he was one, yeah. another one of those guys, right? And it, I mean, those are the guys that turned this franchise back around. Um, and so there's, there's a lot to be, lot to be said for that. You know, it's wild that we say that, the you know they turn this franchise back around and i mean granted if we're going steen's like, another one alexander steen oh alexander steen oh i forgot about steen um you know you think like turn this this franchise around culminating in the stanley cup win and then just like how far i feel like we've fallen since that win which is all on army in my mind but mm-hmm. um, it, it can it can all go back to the fact that he wanted to be just be i'm bigger than you to petrangelo and that's exactly what essentially tell petrangelo to go fuck himself all this fucking shit is is he said that and guess who won a stanley another stanley cup last year and led his team as a captain oh that's right petrangelo petrangelo but hey you know what though he he did not go on a tear like maroon did (laughs) pat maroon went on a real stanley cup tear legend yeah, we should we should have legend. brought both of those guys back because maroon yeah was just not for like that yeah much. yeah but well, just as a that, just as just a like, just as a locker room a, guy yeah and even in and honestly from a business sense like being from st louis being on the team that brought the world cup to st Be, the, scoring the cup to scoring saint, the yeah winning goal yeah. to win scoring the winning goal cup. yeah like it's like, the, it's the david been free a story life. all over yes Except for Maroon's oh, a better Christ. player all around than <laughs> Freeze was. <laughs> Speaking yeah, of David Freeze, Cardinals are back. I fucking um, love that guy. <laughs> Freeze. So, okay, apparently he still, like, walks around, like, yeah. in Texas. And, like, people will recognize him, which is kind of surprising. But, I mean, it was a big World Series. And, like, <laughs> like I guess, like, he'll, like, walk around and, like, cars will, like, drive past him and be like, Fuck you, David Freeze. And like, mm-hmm. apparently he finds it hilarious, which I do too. Um, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all these uh, years later. Well, I mean, they finally got their World Series uh, win, so maybe things are better. Do you know there's only one professional sports team, like top level professional sports team, not including MLS, um, that hasn't won a pro- uh, professional title, like a championship? Uh, I'm going to tell you that I'm pretty sure that's wrong, but please continue. 
uh, it's the, I said not including MLS. No, um, I but know. Like even the, from like MLB, it's and it's the Texans, the current teams. Seattle so has not only, won anything. Seattle I said from Texas. I said from oh, Texas. I, no, you did not say from Texas. You said one professional sports team that has not won a title. That's Sorry, all you from said. Texas, <laughs> from, from Texas. From Texas. Okay, that makes sense. Yes, I yeah, was yeah. like. Dude, I get to like Houston, five Texans. or six teams that have not won titles. What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, the Texans from have Texas. Not. Texans yeah. have not, but Spurs obviously have. Mavs have. Um, you know, go well, over to know, Cowboys. Have, again, we're least. excluding MLS. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, excluding MLS. So when they when anytime these stats come out, they always exclude MLS because they still don't consider MLS one of the major sports well, yet. But you know, what? but we're coming. So that's that's changing though because I'm seeing. You know, there's TV viewership things. There's there's money related things like you know percentage of income spent on whatever bullshit. Because if you're a listener to this pod, I am very interested in sports finance, and you probably already knew that. Um, and I have started over the last year to see MLS included more, and that may be the Messi effect. TM trademark. Um, speaking of, do you know, did, did they? I'm going to look it up while we talk. They won two to nothing. You're fine. I watched the game. Okay. I, while I was doing homework. So I'm not surprised. Okay. And <laughs> yeah. And we get to play RSL in two days, three days. Awesome. Honestly, um, if I'm being honest, RSL should have won that game. Really? I heard they were having a real problem with whatever shitty press Miami gave them, which means that I'm hoping that they're going to have a real problem with the real press on Saturday. So he, the issue was that. Miami had a lot of issues with RSL's press in the second half. Uh, really? Um, Question and we, and we can talk more after this, but it was yeah. interesting to see in the second half, RSL had a ton of chances and just could did not capitalize. Players got selfish when they had wide open players in oh, the back well. door and just, I mean, just stupid things. But it was interesting in Miami early in the game was definitely in control, but in the second half got real sloppy yeah. real fast. And it was only a one nothing game at that point. Right. Okay. Sidebar before we go back to the Cardinals though, back to the Miami game though. Like I mm-hmm. saw, did you see the, uh, the video I sent um, in the group chat where Messi like, you know, chips that ball over the injured player into the box to like run up on it. <laughs> like, like that, that was just, hilarious to me and i i hope that whoever it was that was on the ground is not seriously injured because obviously we we don't want to poke fun at someone who is injured but but still like like come on like he knew what he was doing when he did that like like he's like no i gotta score this goal sorry you're 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 they didn't they didn't didn't hear no whistle they haven't whistled it dead yet right so yeah anyway Um, though but cardinals spring training david freeze um i am wearing a spring training jersey out of curiosity, here's a question for you. What player do you think this jersey is for? I have worn uh, spring... it on the pod before. When did you get it? Uh, I got this actually from one of my technicians um, who went to a ton of – he was a huge Cardinals fan and got this as a giveaway. It is not Arenado. Is it Goldie? It is not. It is a current player on the team, though. Okay. Do you want to take uh, another guess or do you want me to tell you? I'm, I'm going to take two more. Okay. Uh, if it's Newt Bar, I'm going to be really jealous. So I'm going to throw him out there. It is not Newt Bar. Okay. Um, then my uh, last random shot in the dark is Michaelis. 
Uh, no, but I do like I do like Michaelis, but uh, hmm, yeah, she's Ooh. had it. She had it for a while. She <laughs> he has been off the team for a few years. For the listeners on the audio only versions of this podcast, it is a Matt Carpenter spring training jersey. John slightly moved his arm into the camera for those of you who missed it. And as he did, he slowly pulled the sleeve open to stretch it out smoothly so you could read the number 13 um, as he could I show us. all the- about the presentation, guys. Okay, here's the thing. Okay, I'm, I've been doing this for a while. I'm a real pro now at this whole videography bullshit. <clears throat> so, you know, I could basically like be live on air. I should do that. Sorry, what you didn't hear was the thoughts in my head where I should be like allowed to call sports games while drinking. Oh, I, it, that, that's been my dream is to like call sports, like be a sports announcer since I was a little kid. It'll can never we talk happen. About, no, but, but can we talk about how great Joey Zanaboni is for the radio announcing for MLS games? And I think he does the ambush too. But like phenomenal. So all those clips you see, they take out whatever bullshit uh, – apple coverage or fs2 and they put him on his radio announcement over it phenomenal stuff phenomenal all of okay spring training is back though spring training is a wonderful time of the year because it fills us all with ideally hope happy uh, for what the season's going to bring but i do want to start off on an interesting note with nolan arenado over the weekend um made some comments um around Don't get me started actually around get me started go for it around what was needed from the team um and he did and i i did find this amusing um because i made comments early on the podcast about him maybe lacking some areas in leadership and you're like that doesn't mean he's not a good fucking leader etc but that well, okay. he needs to be right. more vocal yes. and he does and he admitted as such over the weekend that he needs to be more vocal and he, he realizes that the biggest issue with Nolan Arenado, and I'm going to throw this out right now, and I think it's something he realizes after last year and kind of reflecting in the offseason, is he's his own worst enemy. Um, and that he was struggling last year, and I think he was so down on himself, he didn't feel like he could tell any of the other guys what they needed to do. I mean, he he explicitly stated that, so that's... That's exactly what he read the whole quote. Yeah, no, he he explicitly states that. that Yeah, Yeah. no, he said there were guys underperforming, and because I was not performing, or you know, et cetera, as as well as I should have been, I did not feel comfortable calling other players out. I am very much a lead by example person. Correct. And you know, when you think about last, the makeup of last year's team, and this is something that I have been just like really excited about uh, one week in the spring training. And, and we're going to talk about, about some of these guys. But And in fact, I'm going to rearrange your outline because we're going to skip straight to Sonny Gray after this. Well, um, you're, yeah, it was like the Ollie thing has to do with this Arenado thing, but yeah. Okay, I don't know what, what the Ollie thing is, so we can definitely come to that because I'm interested in what that is because you know my views on Ollie. Anyway, last year's team did not have anyone who historically had been a person who was a very vocal leader leader. Goldie is not a vocal person. Goldie is like, you know, strong, silent type. Right. And Arenado, like 
I am a little surprised that he was not more vocal than he is, but he is aware that he should have been more vocal. He, there are early indications that he is being more vocal. He's calling like fielder position group meetings. He's like doing, you know, like, like team meetings talking about like, okay, here's what we're going to do today. Here's what went well during practice. Here's what we need to work on tomorrow. Like he's taking clear steps forward to develop in that way. Um, and I think my thought on what happened. So if you look at last year's st- entire roster, right, we lose Yachty, right? We have Contreras coming in. There's all the bullshit with um, Contreras and all the stuff early on in the year, mm-hmm. which is its whole own dead horse. But there's no one to be that vocal. The most senior guy on the team is Adam Wainwright, who, let's face it, Adam is the nice guy, right? And that's Not why only is he we the love nice him. Guy, he wasn't even playing. <laughs> well, that too. Yeah. Um, and, and he's old and he's on his last year and he's just trying to get to his 200th win. And, and that's really about it. And that's fine. But like you look at the pitching staff, there's not a vocal guy, like a really vocal guy on that pitching staff last year. Now, I will say Miles Michaelis, top tier swag in MLB, I think. But he's maybe a great top tier. He is a great tier. clubhouse guy as far as keeping guys, yes. th- getting yeah. guys through a 162 game season. Right. The burger phone, the the silly sure. little things that he does, sure. right? Like, well, so he's a right. great guy to have in the clubhouse, but he's not your leader. No. And then you look at you look at uh, the rest of the infield guys. Okay, Contreras is new and had his bullshit. Um, second base is Gorman Young or Donovan Young. Shortstop is Paul DeYoung, who's barely, you know, trying to stay on the team, or Edmund, or who's, trying Edmund. To fi- who's trying to figure out if he's playing shortstop or center field. Then in the outfield, you have Walker Young, and you have Newt, who, like, we fucking love Newt, but he's also just, he, he's the goofball of the group, right? Um, so I don't really buy into Arenado's thing that it was, you know, it was a really young group. No, there was a lot of experience on that roster last year. There was a lot of major league experience. There were some young guys, but there were enough older guys that someone could have and should have stepped up. And it, you know, Arenado probably is the most vocal guy of that group, but he was too busy focused on his own performance, which I get. What that leads me to is, okay, who did we bring in this year? And I know that we did not bring in any, you know, fielders that really matter. This is Arenado is going to have to step up for the fielders. That's fine. He it's, seems to be doing it. It's for that piece, and 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 he was he said it. Goldie said it as well. Actually, in an interview yesterday, the day before, they brought in Carpenter to be oh, right. I, that right. vocal Carpenter piece. Carpenter to right? be that vocal piece, right? Yeah. Um, but but pitchers, right. we brought in Lance Lynn, we brought in Kyle Gibson, and we brought in uh, Sonny Gray. Right. So, right. I can't believe I fucking just showed off the jersey and completely forgot about Matt Carpenter on my little rant there. So. Of the pitching staff, okay, Sonny Gray and Lance Lynn are not going to let a fucking thing fly, right? They've obviously got personality. They're obviously fun guys, but they're also there to work, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so Sonny Gray, I'll admit my perception of Sonny Gray before he joined the staff is very different than what it is a week in the spring training. Like, very different. So I'm sure that you, like me, follow like pretty much anything Katie Wu publishes because it's all top tier. This podcast, huge Katie Wu fans. Um, but so she did this big, long article about 
you know, his first bullpen session, right? I'm guessing you you have read it. Um, but for those of you who, who may not have, because it costs money to read The Athletic, which it's totally fucking worth spending the money to read The Athletic. This whole, I'm not going to spend money to read a magazine thing blows my mind. Um, so he calls this like essentially not really impromptu, but like surprise, I'm throwing a bullpen session today that people didn't seem to really know about. So everyone's just like watching because it's before he was supposed to throw it. Heaven Contreras are doing work. Sonny Gray is just like screaming the quote unquote situation that he's pitching in for each pitch, right? Like this is the count. This is the batter. This is where I'm aiming, like just screaming. And there's like 20 people watching. And at one point in the middle of that, <clears throat> he delivers a pitch, and I don't know what the pitch was. Doesn't matter. Contreras uh, says something like, oh, "That was that was a really nice pitch," and Sonny Gray's response was, "No, that was fucking nasty." And that's what our pitching staff has been missing for years. Like the last person who had that kind of mindset, well, the true last person was probably Lance Lynn, uh, about seven eight years ago. But really, I think of Chris Carpenter with that, right? Like that is the Chris Carpenter mindset. And now, like, I know Lance Lynn is not going to throw a 2-5 ERA this year, right? He's going to go out and he's going to, you know, throw six innings and, you know, only allow one or two, you know, a few runs in and keep us in ball games. And that's great. That's all we need from him. But then, you know, he's going to go out and he's going to also call people out on their shit. And then you're going to have Kyle Gibson be the glue guy doing the exact same thing. I'm excited. I'm concerned about the performance part of it. But I'm excited about the personalities. I, I I agree with what you said. I think it was interesting to hear the the part about Arenado because I didn't get to that part of the his uh, interview, right? About mm-hmm. he made the comment and he goes, you know, our clubhouse was kind of overrun by young guys last year. And he goes, I don't right. mean that in a bad way, but that they're you know they they need you know veteran guys to be able to learn from and to be able to see and blah 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 blah. And I'm like, you're talking about yourself. You're talking about Goldie. You're talking about the guys who needed to step up. And this is why I put Ollie in here um, is that. Oh yeah. At no, what I'm on point, the same page now. <laughs> at yeah. what point, if this is what's going on and you're seeing this go on in your clubhouse, does Ollie go to these veteran players and be like, look, I know you're fucking struggling, Nolan, right? I get it. But there is something else you can contribute to this team right now outside of your performance on the diamond that is going to go so much further, right? How, when does he have, he did obviously didn't have that conversation because if he did, I think the season may have turned, you know, as far as how the position players, no one's going to have a different feeling on how this, how the season went because he was able to help address that or all he has to be able to do that himself or his bench coach has to, or whoever. And that's where I think, again, in, I've said on this podcast before, we talk a lot about the leadership of Yadi and Pujols. We don't talk enough about the leadership of Skip Schumacher and what yeah. we lost when he left because he's a, one of those non, no nonsense, no bullshit kind of guys. If he had seen well, that, well. would would have gone to Nolan, would have either would have called the young guys out, be like, "Hey, right. you need to do this the right way," or would have gone to some of these older guys. And, and at least I firmly believe that's what would have happened. So at what point, you know, I don't want to throw this all on Arenado. Because Arnado is had never had since he came to the Cardinals and the, the Rockies right. were perennial <laughs> shitty teams. So he may have been the vocal guy here and there, but he never really had to be a leader, at least not for a right. team that expected to win. 
And then last he came to the team and he had Yachty. Let's be honest. And, if and then he had on your Pools. team, Yeah. Like you're not and with then you them on the Pools. team. You're not the he guy. He never had to be that guy. Right. And then nobody's coming to him to help like build him up to do that. It's, it's the same thing I see again. If, for those of you who don't know, John and I both work in healthcare, but it's the same thing I see with new leaders in, in the hospital. All the time. Right? Is they, All the time. they promote these people and then nobody tells them, Hey, by the way, you're now the leader you need to be ready to do X, Y, and Z. And then they get pissed when they're failing. Right. So here's another thought for you. Here's a question for you. Thought up on the fly. Okay. I'm, I'm going to probably build to this question. Um, <clears throat> agree with absolutely everything you just said. But do you, so you and I have talked offline for years about the strategic approach of the cardinals in terms of yes, the, the strategy the strategy the cardinal strategy of um in terms of what our players how, how the team is going to play right and so defensively we're talking weak contact ground ball pitchers get the out right you throw so you mean you, not the piss rockets that were flying in our fielders last year correct correct <laughs> and and you know at some point that was going to happen right and I do think the shift probably hurt us quite a bit last year. Um, and we had to adapt to that, but I don't think it accounts for all of it. But you could have the shift account for some of it, regression account for the others. doesn't matter. Do you think that if three years ago or two years ago, however long it's been, we do not fire Mike Schilt, if Mike Schilt was the manager in 2023 – do you think we have such a, such a shitty season? God, no. No, because Mike Schilt is a people manager, right? The one thing you and I have said constantly since Ali took over is he's fucking up all these situations with the players. He's throwing players under the bus. He's making them to like, he's calling them out publicly after a situation is resolved, which is what he did with Tyler O'Neill. Um, he did something semi similar with Harrison Bader, um, he's, you know, like the manager is supposed to be the fucking manager and like keeping that other shit going on. Like, yeah, you need veteran leadership in the clubhouse. You also need a manager to like manage. At this point, part of me wonders, right. If, <clears throat> you know, the Cardinals would have been better off hiring somebody who has zero baseball experience but knows how to manage people in that role. I mean, yeah, if you have, well, I think you, could I, I say zero, if, you know what I mean? But like, if, right, right. The problem with that from the Cardinals perspective is I do think we had been severely lacking in the analytics department and, and, you know, again, the fucking nerds. Right. And I, I say that, um, knowing that I'm a, a data person nerd myself and I like, spend a lot of time looking at numbers that may not really matter. Um, but like if you, if we had, if we, you combine someone like Mike Schilt and maybe Mike Schilt is not willing to do some of these things and that's totally fair, but it wasn't like we had a fully fleshed analytics department to support him that way. And Ali in his first year in 2022, I think leaned well, more late. He definitely did more analytics based decision making um, than 
than Mike Schilt did. And I mean, you see it in the NFL with Dan Campbell, right? He's very analytics based, which is surprising for a former player. But like, you also have to manage the people. Tony Larusa was phenomenal about that when he was with the Cardinals. Not so much with the White Sox, but when he was with was the like, Cardinals, he, he was he great. He had his fair that. share of riffs. Um, with yeah. players, Larissa. I mean, um, I mean, I'm not saying he didn't have his riffs, but he also like he did a good job of balancing managing the game with managing the players. I think, I think that's why. And, and you look at Schilt when Schilt was the manager, who was his bench coach? It was Ali, wasn't it? Yeah. You have two like, can, I two that styles. That, no, no, but two two styles, right? Schilt's going to hold them accountable, but Ollie was able to be everybody's friend. Right. Right. To an extent. Like he didn't have to do, he didn't have to be the bad guy because Schilt could be the bad guy. Right. And Ollie doesn't, doesn't still, and and maybe he's figured out after last season, but especially at least during, still during last season, did not know how to admit that he was wrong or how to hold people accountable, but hold them accountable in the right way. So right. my thing, yeah, I don't think he, I think his idea of holding people accountable is bitching about them to the, to the media. And don't get me wrong. I, I agree. I watched that play with Tyler O'Neill. Like he was not running as fast as Tyler O'Neill can run. Also, Tyler O'Neill has a history of hamstring injuries and he's probably been told, Hey, maybe, you know, I'm not, we're not saying run slow, but we're saying, you know, don't sprint every single play that you don't have to sprint on i think or you know and there's a whole lot of things that go into right um he just he's trying to hold people accountable it doesn't know how he seems to me like he's the classic non-confrontational manager he won't say anything to you to your face right like he's not going to come straight to you with his problem he's going to tell everyone else and then when you question him then he's going to be like oh well what i really meant was right I will say this about Ali. This is a positive because I think we are rather hard on him. And I don't think he is as good as this as Mike Schilt. Huge Mike Schilt fan. I'm guessing you are too. Um, not that he doesn't have his flaws. But uh, I do think that he does a good job of supporting our players when they do things that are called into question. Like not so much the effort things, but like I think back to that, that scrum we had with the Mets in 22 – I think, um, and which he is, was, which is surprising because Pete Alonso is a big, strong guy. So I don't know why you'd want to get in a right. scrum with the Mets anyway. When do you think was the last time we made that that reference? A couple of weeks ago, I made it, and you were like, yeah. "It's been forever." Right? Yeah, but like before that, it had been forever. Oh, it, been, it had been. It's forever, been like yeah. once. Like I think this is like our second reference in twenty twenty four. But he was really supportive of like the things that you know um, that Stubby Clap was doing during that to try to like protect our players. And, and he was also, you know, standing up for, for Nolan and, and some of the other guys and why they were getting upset about that. And that is, I think a strength of Ollie that we don't talk about because I don't think, like you said, I don't think he's confrontational and I don't like, I don't think he knows how to privately address issues. Like you said, I, I think you really, really, called out the exact issue that he has all of this to say how i don't want to use say how bad do they have to be 
but like at what level this year, like what is the baseline performance that the Cardinals have to do for Ali to keep his job in your mind and not what you would do that you think Mo will do? Teach me how to mow. 85 wins. So if you, so, and then this is not a betting. I'm just like clarifying. No, no. If, 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 if the Cardinals. If they hit 85 wins, but miss the playoffs, I think he keeps yeah. his job. I think if they're below that mark, he's got a high probability of being gone. 84 winning season and loses his job. Yeah. But, but I agree. made like, the playoffs and lost his job. So, like, let's talk about it. Well, yeah, but he also got into a yelling match with, with Mo. He also had so. a philosophical difference. Right. I do um, and think... And Schilt wanted to win and Mo didn't care. <laughs> you know, do you know who Ollie shouldn't have a... Do you know who Ollie should not have? First off, that is, that a, is the uh, greatest <laughs> quote we have had in this entire fucking podcast they had a philosophical difference where Schilt wanted the win and mo did not <laughs> god bless you please um, continue <laughs> the the one person ollie needs to not be taking advice from on how to handle situations is mo and i feel like that's the one person ollie is taking advice from on oh well when you talk to the media just say this i i think ollie is such a yes man for Mo that he's not not I don't think he comes up with anything. I think he's just a figurehead for what Mo wants. And and if that's who they want managing the team, that's who they want managing the team. But as a fan, I find that unacceptable. I was much happier with this team when Mike Schilt was was manager because I felt like he was a real true Cardinals manager. Like who we are as an organization, who we are as fans. Mike Schilt was reflective of that. Um and I do like some of the embracing of the new age math analytics stuff that Ali does, but like the people come first, you know, if I can throw an office reference in here, right. Um, there's this, this episode where I think it's the episode where Ryan has Michael come to speak at his college business class. And, you know, you as a business major, you should really pay attention to what I'm about to say. Um, <laughs> and and Michael says, you know, uh, you know, whatever. Ryan's assertion was that the paper business is going to go under because, like, everything's digital. Blah blah blah. We've all heard it. And Michael says, "No, Ryan, it, it people. It's about people, and people will never go out of business. And it's the same fucking thing when you're managing a fucking sports team." And by the way, I Mom, also, yes, I say the f word a lot. Uh, I would also like to point out. Um, you kind of went on a tangent there and you made it sound out, make it sound like all I do is business. Um, that's, that's not, I don't know if you're one I of the suits at the myself, hospital now. You're one of the suits. I don't know if I would consider myself a business major ever. Um, hey, you're, you're taking college classes right now. What, what, uh, is the degree in? Uh, it, it would be in business. Yeah. Fuck um, off. <laughs> what's my highest degree in John? You you have another degree? I don't I don't remember. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah, sure this is the I only think. one you have. I, I yeah. don't question me this, on this. <laughs> oh yeah, you don't have any other degrees. You just randomly got a master's. Right, right, right. You don't Working have any other degrees. Master's. You just randomly got a doctor. Doctorate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we oh, go. Oh wait, <laughs> nailed it. Oh, shit. Kind of a doctor. Um, <laughs> not a real doctor. I said a doctorate. Uh, but <laughs> almost. What's more. Almost a doctor. 
<laughs> Very tongue-in-cheek you know, here on this podcast. <laughs> Please call me so Dr. The, Tyler. <laughs> the other thing, because, you know, I kind of wanted to make sure I touched on the the Ollie thing. You talked about Sonny Gray being, you know, with what he's the doing. And I, I put yeah. I put in in the, the, the thing, right? He's being the guy, right? But it's not just the, the bullpen session, right? And how he runs his bullpen session. It's the after the bullpen session telling his catchers, this is what I liked. This is what I didn't like. This is what we need yep. to work on. This is what's wrong. It's not just in the moment. It's okay. After the fact, this is what, well, and then before he starts the next bullpen session, he starts it with, don't forget, this is what we fucked up yesterday. Yeah. Let's fix it today. Yeah. And, and, and I think being on the same page with his catchers and being on the same page with his team, and it's going to pay such huge dividends for, yeah. for, all of them, but especially somebody like, uh, you know, we have a young catcher on our team, right? And mm-hmm. so that's going to be huge for him. Right. I will say I am really excited for this year because one, not only is Herrera mashing the summer and the Caribbean League, but okay, you and I have talked a lot about where are the at-bats going to be for everyone um, and that Contreras is going to start transitioning to DH slash possibly first base soon-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Herrera like looks like he's ready to take that step. I do think – Do you, let me ask you this. Do you think um, Contreras catches 100 games this year? I think he's between 85 and 100. That's about what I would say. I would, I like my in my mind, it's like between ninety and ninety-five is the number in now, my mind that he on catches. The flip side of that, if he is calling games really, really well, I could see that number jumping to like one twenty. Like if he is like in sync with pitchers this year, right? If I could he's see in that sync and and Herrera struggles, I could see that number going up out of necessity. Um, but I'm I'm excited to see Herrera get take that next step and I'm excited to see him there. And apparently Sonny Gray has been that guy everywhere, but I think like you said, it's going to be very, very good for Herrera's development. Um, I also wonder um, for this team, just like, you know, we we've made a transition to guys with a better skill set for the pitching staff for, for the three true outcomes, right? get strikeouts, minimize walks, minimize home runs. Um, and and does the defense improve? And, you know, we have in our fielding staff, we have emphasized guys with good fielding skills. And I, it was a struggle at times last year. Um, but I, I do think that we're going to be better defensively than we were last year. I think you couple our pitchers with, with um, getting more strikeouts – um, and you couple that with the defensive skills that our team already has. I think Walker is going to take a big step forward. Um, you know, he's got a whole season under his belt at in the outfield. I think Mason Wynn is a fucking stud at shortstop. Um, I, I I have Mason Wynn on my short list for rookie of the year for the NL. <clears throat> Obviously, I'm a Cardinals fan, yeah. but mm. you tell know, me I'm I, wrong. I think that's a good point, right? That was something that I, I – I thought, you know, was thinking is, is what does our defense look like, right? Does it improve this year? Because realistically, we're rolling out the same guy. So <clears throat> if you look at your typical everyday starting, like say that right now, who's your best nine, not including a pitcher, right? 
Mm-hmm. You're going to say Contreras at catcher. Contreras yep. is not a bad defensive catcher. Uh, he could be better, but sure, continue. I, I, if you watch him last year, he was doing more than I've ever seen him do to like block balls in the dirt and do well, the little things. Sure, I mean compared to when uh, he was with the Cubs, but but being a defensive not, catcher is not is not what he is known for. But but continue. Correct. That's not the but, point. But I'm, he's he's not a terrible like again. He's not a bad defense. I'm not saying he's yeah, the best, but he's, he's not a bad defensive catcher. He, yeah, he's a perfectly <clears throat> average MLB catcher with that regard. You have you you have to think that at first base, Goldie. There's not a big regression at first base defensively. So Goldie's not going to be worse. He's going to yeah. be good. Yeah. Third base, you you feel like Nolan's going to take a step forward back to where closer to where he normally is this year. He is right. a couple Nolan's years older, be but Nolan. like, yeah. Um, you look at second base, and primarily, you, if I say my best starting lineup, my best starting lineup is Gorman at DH and Donnie at second base. I would agree with that. Um, and then again, like you said, Mason win at shortstop, the, the range and the athleticism, I think one of the most for listeners at home, I just started coughing my brains out, but, um, You're so dying. Mute, but you, have, you have pneumonia with Mason win. Um, one of Mason wins big things, right? The range he has, we, you mentioned oh, yeah. earlier, we lost he's the quick shift. And he's got an arm. Yeah. Have, we've had good shortstops that range is limited and we were able to cover that with the shift we can't cover that with the shift now and so you're going to see a lot more errors on somebody like a mason win or nolan arenado because mm -hmm. they're getting to balls that other fielders don't even have a chance to and so don't just look at errors and assume that it's they're playing better right that's why nolan arenado is consistently a gold glover And, and granted last year was like the first year that he hadn't won it in his position but like even though he has more errors nominally than his peers and it's because he's getting he's going for these balls that other guys just don't even try for right and and, and the voters recognize that and he's making these phenomenal plays year in and year out um with them even with a down year he had a lot of really good plays last year um I do think that pairing I, I'm also very excited because you kept talking about, like you said, with the range of Mason Wynn, I do think he's going to pair very well next to Nolan Arenado, especially as Nolan, you know, I mean I, I don't think last year was age getting him. I think it was just a down year. But over the next three to four years, like there's going to be deterioration over a four year period. I do think uh hitting wise, Goldie has already hit that deterioration you know it's only been one year but like he's 36 i don't really expect a 36 year old hitter to suddenly light it up when his 35 year was was not as good as it was previously um i think he still can work counts i just i think he's going to start losing his slug and i think that that's going to start having an impact on his overall numbers as far as the outfield goes i mean the outfield is is for so one you've got simple so this is if i say this is my best team right and there's there's some some question marks here and we'll get into sure. that here in a minute but um uh, so i'm going to bring that last bullet point up here in just a minute um, sure. on our outline fyi but you've got newton left you have edmund in center and you've got walker in right you don't have questions about edmund's ability to play defense you don't have questions about newt's ability to defense and Walker has to be better this year. He, I mean, like he just 
he, for well, he was better in the back half is, compared the to the first of work half. He's put in. Yeah. The amount of work he's put in, the amount of work he's going to continue to put in, you know he's going to continue to progress and get better. Right. Um, and, and, and he and, was so much better at the end of the season than he was at the beginning of the season. Like we can actually was. see progression with him. It's not just like we I, expect it. Like you could actually see it. Correct. Yeah. I was like the numbers showed that he was better right. yeah. across the board. And, and you know, <clears throat> one of the things um, that makes me concerned about all of this, right, is you were about to say, oh, our, our outfield set for the first time in a while. Tommy Edmonds still on limited duty and we don't know there's still kind of gray areas and exactly when he'll be ready. Brendan Donovan also had off season surgery and, and uh, Brendan Donovan will be ready by the beginning of the season, assuming there's no right. crazy setbacks. Is Tommy Edmond ready for the start of the season? And if he's not, <clears throat> we have Dylan Carlson as our fourth outfielder. So is that who you put out there or do you roll newt? to center and you put Donovan out in left move Contreras to DH more and play Gorman at second. Um, I mean, I think those are all things we will see in the first month. I do think you will see new play center field. I do think you'll see Carlson play center field. I think you'll see Carlson maybe play left field um, in Edmonds absence. And you'll see kind of like which one's better. Um, I do think, as far as, you know, the quote unquote half rest days is kind of what they call them where a guy DHs and then goes back into like a fielding position the next day. I think you will see them earlier and more frequently with Contreras than you will with the others, um, especially because depending on what we have to do with Donovan to cover other positions, like if you move Donovan out of second base, well, you have to move Gorman into second base, right? Um, but in theory, wherever you move Donovan, hopefully will be to spot, you know, Arenado from the fielding day or Goldie from a fielding day or, or whoever. Right. Um, but injuries happen. I, I feel better about our fielding depth than I have in a while. Um, and, and Donovan is a huge piece of that provided that, like you said, he has no more setbacks. Um, I do wonder how many more years of Edmund we have before we trade him. I do not think he finishes his like initial contract in St. Louis. I do think he will be a tradable player. Um, so I don't know. I think that is a big question mark. But provided he's, he progresses, I think he's on his own hitting program right now, I believe, Edmund mm-hmm. is. Um, but he's not been very clear about what the progression will be for that. So we really have no idea what that timeline looks like or at least i from what i've seen yeah i i think it'll be interesting i'm not sure what it's going to be and i'm, I'm just i was excited in the offseason because i felt like we were finally gonna have an, uh, an outfield that was lined up here's my couple of last pieces you know um that i kind of want to talk about it is two big things um First, are there any young guys that you're really excited to see or that you think have a, either excited to see in spring training slash going into the season um, or think that have a chance to break camp uh, and why? And part of this is th- there's two parts in this. And the other part is Burleson. Is Burleson still fighting for his roster spot? <sighs> we, we talked to, so for example, I'm where listening. does Burley play? Because everyone's going to be like, oh, put him in left field, right? 
Remember how we were talking about, oh, there's a lot of guys who don't have errors because they can't get to balls. Let me show you Alec Burleson. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to make an error when you're running up on the ball after it stopped moving every time. And he's That's not true. that bad, right? Like I, I'm over exaggerating by a lot. But, <clears throat> you know, the guy hits well, but he's a left-handed bat. We have a lot of left-handed bats. Um, and you can never, left-handed bats are good to have, but he's really a DH type. Well, wh- who, who do you want to be your DH every day? I mean, I want Gorman to be my DH every day in an ideal world. Um, I'm still thinking about your other question. And I actually was just double checking who the non-roster invitees were. I do have, have thoughts, um, but I'm going to let you continue yours before I start giving some like guesses. So um, there, there's two position players. I'm very intrigued to see okay, um, how they, how they do. And I think pending injuries and how things play out may both have a chance to break camp. Um, okay. The first uh, is Thomas Sagasi. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I think he's got a good chance to potentially break camp, especially if there's injuries, but He's an infielder, right? He can play all over the diamond on the infield um, as yep. needed. So, you know, especially if they're, if he's lighting it up and playing well, I could very well see him breaking camp um, to be able to help fill those infield roles, um, especially yep. if we have to move Donovan to the outfield, because I'd much rather have Donnie in left field than, you know, somebody like Burleson. Um, the other one that I could see if, especially if he continues to hit and play well, um, I'm going to be excited to see him in spring training either way, Victor Scott the second. Um, and, you know, he's somebody that I think we will see at some point this year, even if it's for some short call-ups here and there to, to due to injury or whatever else. But I think because of the Edmund issue, if there's some struggling there or, and hear me out here, I know people are going to think I'm crazy for saying this, but if Edmund's back and healthy, and all of a sudden you turn around and Carlson's forgotten how to hit and it just looks awful. Does he potentially push Carlson out of the fourth outfield spot? And Carlson then potentially, because of his defense, would have more playability over Burleson. So then Carlson then pushes Burleson out. Yeah, I don't I don't think Carlson and Burleson I would be shocked if either of them had any more um i forget the official term for it right now but if if they can be sent down to DFAs. the minors anymore no you you can Doesn't dfa anyone. assignment yeah but that's not what i'm talking about because dfa is basically you're, you're asking if player. he has well you're you're asking if they have any more minor league options so where they can R- send options, them back and forth options is the word i'm, I'm thinking and so of. because if they don't then they have to dfa them is what right you, which right. is why i was where yeah 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 so they could dfa them but they obviously don't want to um, Carlson, they can't make up their mind if they want to keep him or trade him. Um, Burleson, I don't think has a, has a very big market. Um, I agree 100%. Thomas Sagasi and Victor Scott II are definitely the two guys I think most likely to break camp. I do think Thomas Sagasi is slightly more likely than Victor Scott II, and not because of ability, I think just because of the 40 man construction right now. Um, and I think the positional variability helps him. I do not think he breaks camp, but I think he is more likely to break camp. 
Um, I do think as far as pitchers go, um, Cooper Kierpe, Tink Hintz, Takoa Roby, um, Gordon Graceffo, I think all of those guys are a, a great spring training, a good to great spring training away from breaking into the, the major league team as a reliever. Um, you know, especially the guys that are lefties, which are Cooper and actually of that group. Is it just Cooper Herpy at this point? I thought we had more lefties. Oh, Mike, because Libertor Michael, Michael McCreevy, I'm, is he a lefty? Uh, he's a righty for throwing. He bats as a lefty, apparently. Um, but he is a righty for throwing. But it, it's partly because a lot of the guys that were lefties have already they're they're forty man rosters, yeah, and I'm looking at non roster invitees. Yeah, Tom, Thompson, Thompson, and Libertor. Uh, Libertor, yeah. Um, oh, Takoa Roby as well uh, is is a good camp away from from breaking in. Um, I do think that when it comes to the forty man and the the bullpen, I do think that this team has a very like situational approach, like who is the guy that's best for like this situation. Like, I think they know the situations that they want to have options for. Um, and they're looking for who they have available that fits like reacting to those or solving those situations. I think that's going to be the biggest impact more so than like who plays the best in camp out of the, this group of guys. Um, but yeah, yeah, any of those guys I could see breaking, breaking through. I could see any of them breaking camp. I'm excited to see all of them in camp um, because I want to see what these guys look like against some major, some of the major league pitchers. Um, Michael McGreevy was, is somebody that I feel like we don't talk or hear about enough. And I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I don't know. I think, I think the whole piece will be interesting. Um, and, and again, you know, you're some of these guys, right. You're looking at for potential change of pace guys. Um, and change of pace guys should never be underestimated. Uh, look at what Celio Pompeo did last night, right? Um, and was came in, was able to get down in the corner, make something happen, put the ball in, and ended up where Kojima scored, right? And so change of pace guys are important, and, and they can completely change the way that the game is played um, or, or how your team feels at any given moment. Um, and I think some... Tink Hens is the guy that I think of the most when I think of the change of pace or bringing something different or electric to the team um, and is the guy that I most anticipate by the end of the year seeing in the bullpen. But I think they will wait a while to pull him up because yeah. these guys, they really want to get starter innings right now so that they can pull him up to the bullpen, get major league experience, see how they do against major league hitting, but then not take away that year of development as a starter. Absolutely, um, and, and again, we spend a lot of draft picks on these guys, right? Like, and high draft picks or trading yeah, away high, things, and, high draft picks. And yeah. and I know that you know some places don't agree, but draft picks are valuable. Um, I I think it was a, a certain employee of Stan Kroenke who said, "Fuck them picks," and fuck <clears> them <throat> picks. I don't necessarily agree with that, right? Like, you have to have picks to continue. Um, but that's, you know, continue to be successful. But that's also why Stan Kroenke continues to not be successful um, because he's an idiot and continues to be an idiot. And with that, Stan Kroenke, we hate you guys and good night, everyone.